0: All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, Welcome, Uh, it's sweet to be back together. Um, If you played hooky last week, you didn't know that we played hooky, so um, you don't know that we weren't here, but we weren't here, and so it's really good to be back here. We uh, ended up going to Sheridan, Wyoming for a couple days as a family. Um, We have some family that has relocated there, and then also uh, a sweet blessing is we got to be with another church that is part of our network, a sister church that planted in Sheridan, Wyoming about six months before redemption um, planted. Uh, One of the guys that's leading um, up there as a pastor, Pat and I um, did a lot of ministry with at Windsor uh, back in the the day, so to speak, and so sweet to be with them. Um, And that was great. Uh, And then there's something sweet about being home. You know, there's just like something sweet about being back here of the local family and the local expression. And so glad to be back together. Um, We are moving on. Um, If you have your Bibles, as Pastor Pat talked about earlier in John chapter 12, you can go ahead and open them with me as we continue to study verse by verse through this eyewitness testimony uh, of Jesus as the Christ Christ where time and again John, the author, the writer of this book, uh, points us towards the truth that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Interaction after interaction, he helps us as the readers see, understand, and know who the person of Jesus is and what are the implications of those truths for those who choose to follow him. Uh, Last week, Pastor Pat um, taught on uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Oh, what a king he is. This morning we're gonna pick back up in John chapter 12 starting in verse 20. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, there with me. And as you get there, a little bit of the road map for this morning's time. Uh, first and foremost is the sermon title which I believe is on the screen behind me. It's borrowed um, from verse 34 and it's a question. Who is this son of man? Who is this son of man? It's a question raised by the crowd as we will get into the text and see, and one that Jesus is more than willing to answer. And I'm gonna argue this morning that the question, who is this son of man, is answered in three large parts in verses 20 through 36 this morning. And those three parts all start with the letter S. And they are these. The first is seek. Those that seek. The second is sacrifice, and the final one is surrender. So seek, sacrifice, and surrender. What do those have to do with this question, who is this son of man? And how do those three S's shape our view and understanding of who he is and inform our lives and transform our lives as individuals who desire to live for God's kingdom here, now, and forevermore? So that is our path this morning, a... uh, A task to undertake. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open it to John chapter 12, verse 20. And I'm going to encourage you to stand up with me as we read along in the word, starting in verse 20. Now among those that went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir... The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoke to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said these things to show what kind of death was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Uh, we're told earlier on in John chapter 11, verse 55, that the feast of the Passover has started. Now here in verse 20, Among those that are wanting to worship at the feast are some Greeks. Now the Passover feast we are somewhat familiar with in the Gospel of John. This is the third Passover that is celebrated in this Gospel account where the Jewish people remember God's faithfulness and provision to them as a people when they were enslaved in Egypt and where they, because of obedience to God, Spread blood over the doorframe of their homes, and the angel of death passed over them, and it resulted in their freedom from the nation of Egypt. And so every year, numerous Jews would flock into Jerusalem where the temple had been constructed to worship God and celebrate and remember his provision in the past. And among them are some Greeks, verse 20. Now we don't really know anything about this group of people. John tells us actually very little. They could have actually been Greeks, individuals from the area of Greece, but that's actually uh, unlikely, given the way that the Jewish community considered Jews and non-Jews. More than likely, they are simply non-Jews. That is, they are Gentiles who feared God and desired to worship him at this festival, and so they came. So they make the trip to Jerusalem, And they must have heard the commotion, created by Jesus who entered the city, mounted on a donkey, and hailed by many as the king of Israel. Understandably so, not knowing much about this Jesus, other than he himself is a Jew, they seek him out, but they do so indirectly, not knowing how Jesus will respond to them as Gentiles. And so what do they do? They go approach somebody who's more approachable. They find Philip. If you're uh, up on the TV series The Chosen, you can imagine why they went to Philip. Philip is portrayed in this uh, series as a nice, humble, accepting guy. Like who doesn't like Philip? We actually don't know why they go talk to Philip. It could be that, or it could be any number of other reasons. It could be that he has a Greek name. And so they go find Philip. And then the next question is why does Philip go find Andrew? We don't know. I don't know. Regardless, the Gentiles find the right guys and they go find Jesus, verse 22. And what is Jesus' res- response, verse 23? He says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Interesting, to say the least. What was the Gentiles' request again? It's like, Jesus, we just... We just asked you if these guys could meet with you and you start talking about some period of time that's apparently now and uh, this idea that wheat has to come into the world, it has to die and, and in so dying it bears much fruit. Like, what, what do you want us to tell them? At first blush, it's confusing, at least to me as the reader. Maybe you can empathize with me as the guy who's supposed to expound upon the text. These Gentiles come and they want to see Jesus. Now notice that that triggers something. It starts something in the mind of Jesus and Jesus says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So let's start there. This is not the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. John uses it 12 times in total in his account. Do you know how many times it's used in the Gospels as a whole? Somebody give me a guess. Nobody wants to guess. 50, good guess. 80 times. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. He uses this title to describe who he is and what he has come to do. In short, the phrase the Son of Man stands next to the idea and the phrase of the Son of God, also found throughout the Bible. In short, the Son of God largely speaks to the unique relationship between Jesus as deity and his relationship to his divine Father, while the Son of Man emphasizes Jesus' humanity as one born of the seed of the woman. But there's something more that Jesus intends to communicate on the eve of Passover, being sought out by Gentiles, calling himself the Son of Man, and that the hour has come for his glorification. Who is this Son of Man? Point number one, for our time this morning, the first S, seek. The Son of Man is the one the Gentiles also seek. Now we've already pointed to this. Notice in the text, this event triggers something in the mind of Jesus. His response in verse 23 is, the hour has come. Now we should stop and we should consider that statement for a couple moments. In Jesus' response, this subtle event, this request of the Gentiles to approach him, to see him, to learn from him, to be included as followers, triggers the hour, the time, the season for his glorification. The Son of Man is the one the Gentiles also seek. And as D.A. Carson puts it strictly, he says this, Strictly speaking, Jesus does not respond to their direct request of the Gentiles, but to the situation that their request represents. Think about that with me for a moment. He doesn't actually respond to their direct request, but to the situation that their request represents. So, what is that situation? It is that the Gentiles also seek to be a part of the kingdom of God, the glory and the dominion of whom? The Son of Man. Now we might not necessarily see the connection that Jesus is making for his disciples here, but both of those two significant truths, first, that the Gentiles seek the Son of Man, and second, that Jesus lays claim to the title Son of Man have threads back into the Old Testament, deep threads, For the sake of time this morning, we're just going to drop to one place, and it's Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. Daniel has a vision, and this is what he sees. Notice the two truths that are predicted and are now unfolding in the book of John. This is what it says. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, that is the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. See, Daniel saw and he foretold of one like a son of man. But this son of man was not merely human. Coming from the earth. He reigns from the clouds of heaven. Standing with the ancient of days. The God, the Father. And the Father gives the God-man, the son of man, a kingdom and a dominion. Not just of one people. See this. But of all peoples. And so when we read in the Gospel of John, that the Gentiles are also seeking for Jesus and Jesus says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's not some unrelated response to their question. Jesus is saying now is the time. Now is the hour for that which was promised for all people to come under the dominion and kingship of Jesus, the Son of Man. Now is the time. Who is this son of man? Point number 1 our first s along our journey this morning the son of man is the one the gentiles also seek. Personalize that for with me for a moment have you ever found yourself wondering if you too can come to the feet of Jesus. The savior of the world. Have you ever asked the question, would he accept you for who you are? Like, would Jesus receive you if you sought him out? You and I, who are outsiders, sinners, estranged, and fatherless, just like these Gentiles. Would Jesus, the Son of Man, give you an audience? And allow you and I to come and be with him. And what does the text tell us? Yes. Praise God. Yes, because Jesus, the Son of Man, has been given dominion and a kingdom to gather unto himself all kinds of people. Praise God. Like no one that seeks him will be turned away. Not a one. And so the hour has come where the Son of Man will be glorified. Verse 24. And unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So now Jesus turns our attention to what and how this glorification will take place. The son of man, the God man is given a kingdom filling it up with peoples and how will he do that? Point number two, our second S for our time this morning is that the son of man is going to do that through sacrifice. The son of man gives his life as the ultimate sacrifice. Now I'm not a wheat farmer. Any wheat farmers in the audience? There's a couple of you. Good for you all. I farm other types of things like alfalfa, corn, triticale. I'm not very good at either one of those three things, but we do it. And I'm told that an average wheat kernel weighs about .03 grams. That's tiny. A paperclip in comparison weighs one gram. That's 35 wheat kernels is what one paperclip is. And on its own, the wheat kernel is just that, it's a simple little kernel, not good for much. But when planted in the earth, when sacrificed for the sake of growing the plant, like you never get that kernel back, right? Any of you that have done gardening know that you sacrifice the seed, so to speak, for the sake of the growth of the plant. So we plant the seed with wheat. You give it, what, 100, 120 days? Enough sunshine, and God knows we've got enough moisture this spring, right? What do you get? You get a whole plant. Out of one kernel that dies it produces on average 110 kernels per plant. If it does not die, it remains alone. Do you see that? But praise be to God that because of Jesus' sacrifice, he has purchased much fruit. That's what the text says. Through his death, he has brought forth life. And he does this in verse 31. He says this here. He says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to my v- myself. Verse 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You see, the world believed it was judging Jesus. But we learn here that the Son of Man is not judged, but brings forth heavenly judgment. Judgment that condemns our sin before a righteous God. This is why Jesus' life, his death, and his glorious resurrection was and is necessary. Because we are not friends of God. We are enemies, rebelling against him in our sin before him. But because of God, through his son Jesus, Jesus acquired forgiveness and reconciliation And so we should ask, how does Jesus, the son of man, intend to bring about reconciliation and forgiveness resulting in nearness and presence for the followers of him? Verse 26, how is he going to do that? One word, sacrifice. By his sacrifice, his life given up just like the wheat seed that is given up so that it might bear much fruit, so too Jesus will be lifted up high upon a Roman cross and put to death where he will be pierced for our transgressions and he will be crushed for our iniquities, Isaiah chapter 53, verse five. So that any and all that would gaze upon the Son of Man, for anyone that would look at Jesus and believe in Jesus, that you can have life in His name. Now, notice the end of verse 24. What is the fruit that this bears? Jesus' sacrifices himself for the sake of bearing much fruit. So, what kind of fruit will be produced? Verse 25 and 26 tell us Jesus' sacrifice will produce followers of him that cherish and love the things of God, so much so that in comparison, you might think that they actually hate the things of this world. That's what it says. If you want to follow Jesus, you can't love the world's pursuits and your individual desires for your own life. They are at odds with the eternal life that Jesus gives to those that follow him. To trust in Jesus means that we are to serve his purpose, his motives, his ambition, which implies that Jesus—that trusting in Jesus is not simply a verbal confession of faith only, but a growing heart and life of service, verse 26. Follow the the logical progression here in verse 26. Ones that serves follows, and those that follow is where Jesus is, and that's where they will also be, and the result of all of that is that the Father will honor them. That is the fruit that the sacrifice of the Son of Man is accomplishing Drawing individuals unto himself. All can come. And for those that do that their whole life is now different. The trajectory of our pursuits, the trajectory of our values, the trajectory of our relationships, all of it are growing in greater alignment with Jesus' kingship. And as a result, people should say, what is different about you? Like everyone else is chasing education. Education. They're chasing job advancement. They're chasing financial security. They're chasing social status. They're chasing comfort. What are you chasing? Church, when we look into our lives, when people who know us look into our lives, which life do they see us pursuing? How... How does the sacrifice of Jesus, the the service that we are now called into as followers of Jesus, and the eternal life that stands in opposition to this worldly one make its way into the deep categories of our lives? Who is this Son of Man? He is the one the Greeks also seek. He's the one that has given himself as the ultimate sacrifice and now our third and final S for our time this morning. He is the one who surrenders. Verse 27, Jesus' words now, he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come To this hour, Father, glorify your name. See this connection. Deeply connected with Jesus' glorification at the cross was his continual commitment to the glory of his heavenly Father. However, Jesus' future glorification connected with the Father's own glory does not come without trouble. The Greek word for trouble here means to be stirred up. Unsettled, horror, anxiety, or agitation. And as we read in verse 27, we know what troubles Jesus. It's his death on the hill of Calvary. It's like in that to the other places in the gospel accounts when Jesus prayed in the garden. He says, God, Father, take this cup from me. And as I read it here, like, it's, man, it's super easy for me to read over that pretty quickly. Like, resolving in my own mind that, like, it's easier for Jesus, who is God, to know and surrender to God's own plan. Anybody else feel that way about that? But here, too, we can see an important element to this son of man. And that is that he is completely human. Dealing with human emotions. Human feelings. Human concerns. He too wrestled with what was best. Yet, unlike us, Jesus remained faithful and without sin and surrendered himself unto the Father even to the point of death. like let's just marinate on that encouragement for a moment that that truth that the son of man Jesus who is your mediator who provides intercession on your behalf knows what it is like he has first hand to the idea of your trouble Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 Such a sweet text, right? For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted. Hold on. Every respect? Every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, because of that, Because of all of that, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we have received mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice the distinction here between the Son of Man, Jesus, and ourselves. It's not that we both aren't troubled. It's not even that we're both not tempted it's what Jesus did in response to being troubled and tempted that is distinct. He didn't sin, which means, brothers and sisters, for those of us that follow Jesus, his surrender unto the Father not only provides a way for our salvation, right? Freedom from the penalty of sin before God, praise God, but it also broke the power of sin. So that we too, who are troubled, who are tempted, tempted can by the spirit's power fight flee and respond in faith do we believe that Jesus is good and perfect example of surrender in the face of profound difficulty it was motivated in his future glory in the future glory of the father and deep belief of the purpose at hand within the difficulty. Let me say that again. Jesus' example of surrender in the face of profound difficulty was motivated, I would argue, by three profound truths. First, his future glory. The second, the glory that his father was gonna get. And third, the deep belief that there was purpose at hand within the difficulty. Fellow believer, follower of Jesus, all of those things are true of you and your difficulty right now. If you are here this morning and you have trusted in Jesus, all difficulties as challenging and as hard and as real as they are have purpose and all of them are connected to the glory of Jesus which is your future glory all glorifying the Father. This is the Son of Man, Jesus, the one who all seek, who is open to all to come, who purchased our salvation through his death and his resurrection as a sacrifice to obtain life, and whose model of surrender can bring us hope. So as we come to an end, how do those truths continue to transform our lives as people living for God's kingdom? Two points of application with the time that we have left this morning. First, a point of application that comes from the idea that people do seek the Son of Man. Uh, many of you know that I um, am a part of a dairy and for whatever reason, that means I drive a truck around a lot every day. I don't know why that is, but I drive around in a pickup a lot. I put about 25 to 35,000 miles on a vehicle every year, which means I'm in my pickup quite a bit. And when I'm in my pickup, for the last 13 years, I'm either on my phone, some of you I've talked to on my phone, while in my pickup. And the other activity, I listen to AM radio. I listened to talk radio, or at least I used to. About a year or so ago, God convicted me that listening to talk radio wasn't helping me grow in Christ's likeness and loving people. In fact, it was doing quite the opposite. I'd listened to another scandal. Another series of crime, listen to one political party demonize another, and I realized that it was creating in me a highly skeptical view, not just of the world, but God's ability to overcome it. I'm already a skeptical person. You who know me know this. I am always the one to find the problem first. In the flesh, it's easy for me to find issues and problems. And for me, listening to the quantity of AM radio that I was listening to was producing in me a spirit that believed that those people are just too lost. The world is just too broken. It's going to hell and it's going there quickly. It's just too far gone. Let me tell you something. That's not the hope of the gospel. And if you listen to too much cynicism, wherever you might find it, you too might fall into the trap that I can find for myself at times believing that God isn't storming the gates of hell and he's not drawing people to himself, and that there are people that are seeking Jesus today. The question is, is like, am I approachable? Am I available? Am I like Philip and Andrew in this text? Or has cynicism clouded what God is doing in the lives of people around me? People do seek God because God is out in front and he's drawing them. God, I pray that we would have eyes to see that and time to give to them and words to meet those who are seeking you and pointing them to Jesus. Amen? Crush the cynicism. I don't know where it exists in your life, where it's coming from, For me, it was AM radio. You may have no empathy of that at all. When Emily gets into my pickup, you know what she does the first thing? She hits FM, not AM, right? That may not be your challenge. Do not let the cynicism of this world cloud the reality that God is working. second and last this morning, which is around Jesus' sacrifice. Notice here in this text that Jesus' sacrifice, there's tons of things to say here, but it it stands right up next to, Jesus' sacrifice sits right next to those that love the world and their lives in the world. There's lots that we could talk about with that, but the element that I feel like the Lord is pressing in me and working in me is how the pursuits of this world, they they literally they literally dull my gratitude for Jesus's sacrifice. The pursuits of this world dull my gratitude for Jesus's sacrifice on my on my behalf. We're reading through a a book on prayer in our small groups. If you're not reading it, you're not a part of a small group, let me tell you, you are missing out. This book has been really good. Trust God will use it in the life of our church. And last week, the author draws our attention to three patterns in the life of prayer, specifically as he traces through the idea of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six. And those three things are provision, they are pardon, pardon, and they are protection, provision, pardon, and protection, and all three elements, provision, pardon, and protection, are all needed. Yep, but how frequently? Every day. Every single day, and God is using that as well as this text to convict me of the connection between my own daily prayer life and the need for continual reminder of my pardon. My sin before God dealt with in the face of Jesus because of his sacrifice and my fight with this world who wants to steal my attention and dull my affections for Jesus. Can you relate? My prayer is that we would be a people, oh God, like, God like would we be people would we be individuals that resist the draw of this world by meeting you daily in prayer and that we would con- we would confess sin specific sin that's deep ingrained in who we are and that we would we would uh, receive grace and mercy which covers it all because of what Jesus has done amen like may we be that kind of a church may we be those kinds of people And let that, the the continual reminder of the gospel, may that fuel resistance, good resistance against the things of this world. Amen? Who is this son of man? He's Jesus. May we be a people and a church that behold him, and that we point others to him for his great glory and our great and unending joy. Church, may we do that together. May we do that as we go out of this place. Let's pray. Lord God, Mm. thank you for being who you are for being the son of man who is building a kingdom of all kinds of people that we're here this morning with no greater tie, no greater affinity than being found up in Jesus. That our greatest unifying reality is that we are are sinners made saints by the blood of Jesus. Oh Lord God. and may we bask in the sacrifice that you have done to make that happen. Lord God, the surrender and the commitment to bring it about through your life, your death, and your glorious resurrection. Lord God, fan it into flame in our own hearts and our own minds. And Lord, may it bear much fruit as we walk into this world desiring to love you and love your ways More and more and more. Loosen my grip on this world, O Lord God. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.